It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey everyone, this is Ben. So we had some initial startup funding to get the Story Collider really going, but that is coming to an end. So we're starting a fundraising drive. We hope you enjoy these podcasts and believe, as we do, that telling stories of the personal side of science is important. If you do, we hope you'll contribute to keep this going. Head to storycollider.org donate for more details. And thank you. A science story, huh? And I just thought, well, I figured it, out. it was that golden moment. Because science was on my side. Hey everyone, welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true stories of how science has affected people's lives. This week's story is from Sasuato R. Das. The story was recorded in July 2013 at Union Hall in Brooklyn. The theme of the evening was Close to Death. It is January 2008, and I'm staring at the muzzle of a gun in Colombo, Sri Lanka. I've been stopped in the car that I am going to um, by a group of soldiers. And this soldier that I'm looking at is very nervous looking. And if there's anything more worrisome than a soldier with a gun, it's a nervous soldier with a gun. (laughs) And so he's asking me for my passport and I give it to him and I reflect, why am I here? Why am I in the middle of this civil war? Sri Lanka at that time was in the middle of a civil war. Um, For 25 years, a group of separatist Tamil militants who controlled the north uh, were fighting the government uh, in the south. And uh, this was the final phase of the war. Uh, There had been a ceasefire when I set off from New York, but the day before I landed, that got uh, taken out. And I'm reflecting. Why am I here? 80,000 people died in the course of that war. Um, The suicide uh, bombings were a trademark of the Tamil militants. They they (coughs) came up with um, a suicide vest. And um, I'm quite afraid. But then the guy gives back my passport and waves me on. Um, It's, why am I here? It all started with a wrong number 15 years ago. Back then, I was an astronomy graduate student um, in college. And I had a friend who had gone back to Sri Lanka. And I was phoning him. Uh, It was late at night. Uh, I may have dialed the number wrong. Uh, Back then, in South Asia, there were still these um, mechanical uh, telephone exchanges. It could have been a fault of that. But um, I hear this voice at the other end. It's a very British-sounding voice. 
Uh, I asked for my friend by name and I'm wondering, I know some uh, of his family has studied in London. Um, and while this is going on, there's a slight pause because back then there were no optical fibers under the sea, so everything was a satellite telephone call. And the voice says, yes, uh, I know who he is. I see him uh, at the club sometimes, but this is Arthur C. Clarke. <laughs> Arthur C. Clarke. Sir Arthur C. Clarke, as some of you may know, is one of the greatest science fiction authors of all time, up there with Jules Verne and H.G. Wells and Isaac Asimov in the Science um, Fiction Hall of Fame. Um, he's actually the reason um, humans went to the moon. Uh, Werner von Braun, who uh, was the rocket pioneer in the United States, he persuaded John F. Kennedy, President Kennedy, with a copy of the explorations of space, which was what uh, Arthur C. Clarke had written. So, um, you know, I could have told him a lot about how big a fan of his I was. I had read a lot of his books. Uh, actually, it was the promise of space that got me started in astronomy. Um, I loved his short stories. In particular, there is a short story called The Nine Billion Names of God. Uh, it tells the story of uh, this two programmers who go to work for these Buddhist monks. The Buddhist monks believe that once you compile the nine billion names of God, the world will end. And they have enlisted uh, computers to speed up the process because you know, they want to see how the world will end. So these two um, programmers are fleeing this monastery because they know that the program is going to come to an end and they're worried uh, that these monks will be really angry. And um, what's happening, it's a classic Arthur C. Clarke ending. He says uh, one of the programmers looks up as they're fleeing down the Himalayas and overhead, without any fuss, the stars were going out. So I could have told him all of this but I botched the moment. I muttered something like, oh, I'm a fan of your books, and that was it. <laughs> what I did do, however, when the bill came, because it was a fairly expensive to call overseas back then, was well, I saved the telephone number. I wrote it down in this little book I had, and 15, well, not quite 15, maybe uh, 14 years later, by then, I was a science writer. I was writing for a bunch of magazines, including IEEE Spectrum. And it was uh, the, first, uh, the 50th anniversary of Sputnik 1. Sputnik 1 was the first artificial satellite. And I told my editor, wouldn't it be nice to talk to Sir Arthur, because he had been there. He was one of the proponents of space exploration. Uh, and my editor said, yeah, go ahead. So um, I contacted him. I called up that number. It was the same. <laughs> and uh, the resulting uh, question and answer session turned out to be very popular. So Spectrum and I, we decided that I'd go in person um, for this interview. And so here I was in Colombo looking to meet him. And the first thing I did when I um, got there, was called his assistant. But um, there was bad news. Uh, 
in the time that I was traveling to Colombo, uh, which is where Sir Arthur had made his home for 50 years, um, he had fallen ill. He had cracked a vertebra and he was in um, the hospital. And his doctors had said he couldn't talk to anyone. Um, I was devastated. You know, I had prepared for this trip. I'd reread many of uh, his stories. Uh, I was really looking forward to making up for that botched moment 15 years ago. Um, but uh, it turned out, uh, it seemed that it was not to be, uh, that this was uh, something jinxed. Um, but no, Sir Arthur uh, wanted to meet me. He, want, he had vetoed his doctor's wishes. And in Sri Lanka, Sir Arthur could veto a lot of things. Uh, uh, so what his assistant proposed was that I uh, come to the hospital room and meet him in short bursts. So I would talk to him until he became tired. And so this is, um, was the plan. And so that was where I was heading when the uh, soldiers had stopped me. But everyone in Sri Lanka knew who Sir Arthur was. And once I told the soldiers who I was going to meet, that's why they waved me on. Otherwise, I'm sure they would have asked me more questions. So Sir Arthur had been taken to this fancy hospital, the best hospital in Colombo, called uh, Apollo Hospital. And he had his own private suite. And it was really large uh, with um, two rooms, the interior room where he was and the exterior room where you know, there seemed to be half of Sri Lanka in there. <laughs> so one of the things that I, I really um, noticed was that uh, people were taking off their shoes before they entered the room. And of course, it was a mark of cleanliness. I mean, it was cleanliness. They didn't want germs to go inside the hospital room. But Sri Lanka is also a Buddhist country, and people uh, typically take off their shoes as a mark of respect if they go to visit a temple or something like that. Um, and it was a mark of veneration to Sir Arthur. He was in considerable pain when I met him. Um, he was lying flat. He looked very worn. And I asked him. Um, how he was feeling. Uh, he didn't respond to that. He apologized for the design flaws of the human body. His mind was fine. It was just his body. And he was 90 years old because he had just turned 90. Um, so, um, you know, I asked him a lot of questions over the next few days. Um, and what I started off with was with communication satellites. Because it was in 1945 that Arthur C. Clarke wrote a paper in a magazine called Wireless World talking about geostationary satellites. Geostationary satellites are these satellites which uh, are stationary over the Earth. And you can, because they have the same period at the Earth. So they orbit the Earth in the same period. And um, they are useful for telecommunications because you can reflect signals off them. And he had come up with this um, idea, and he was called the father of communication satellites. So I asked him about that. And it was a communication satellite that was routing my wrong number 15 years ago. So um, I asked him why he didn't patent the idea. And I will remember what he told me. A patent is a license to be sued. 
which if you look at the newspapers these days, you know, a lot of litigation is about patents. We also talked about diving. Uh, Sir Arthur was an accomplished diver. It was actually what brought him to Sri Lanka. Um, he had been diving uh, in Australia, and on his way back, they stopped in Sri Lanka, and uh, he uh, fell in love with the place. In fact, um, later on, he and a group of friends uh, actually dived for a treasure ship, and they found a treasure ship off the coast of Sri Lanka, um, and it was full of silver coins, and they brought it up to the surface. Um, there were 17th century silver coins from the reign of the Mughal Emperor Aurangzeb, and some of them are in the Smithsonian Institution today. So if you go to Washington, you can, you can take a look. Um, so we talked about that, and during one of the breaks when he was too tired, I actually went down to the coast of uh, where he had dived and, and looked at, you know, it was beautiful. Um, but at the end of the discussions, I asked him what he was most concerned with in those days. And um, he said, extraterrestrials, you know, I said, and back then we had found a few planets around other sun-like stars, but there were nowhere as many as there are today. Uh, but he had been writing about extraterrestrials for a long time, and he believed that there was a lot of uh, extraterrestrials intelligence all over the universe. And he told me that, um, you know, he thought they were going to be found. I came back from Sri Lanka in mid-January of 2008. Uh, the day after um, I flew out of Colombo Airport along the same road, actually it was 10 hours after I'd driven past, a government minister was assassinated using a landmine. So things were really bad. Once I got back to New York, um, I kept in touch with his office. Um, his health uh, deteriorated. He um, didn't make it much longer. He passed away on 19th of March of 2008. Um, my chat with him turned out to be his uh, last interview, though I wish it weren't. Um, reflecting back on what he told me, I always wonder why he took so much time to talk to me. Did he have a premonition of death? You know, they say that sometimes people do. Um, was there something he wanted me to convey to the outside world? Um, all I remember was he was very decent. He was a very nice man. He made a very strong impression on me. Uh, childhood um, authors often take outsized personalities, and they had definitely done that for me. Um, he was a childhood hero. And uh, I still remember that uh, he was extremely decent and a, a very kind and vetoed uh, every doctor who said, no, you, you couldn't talk. Um, what happened after he died was I wrote an appreciation for, uh, of his life for the International Health Tribune, uh, which is the international edition of the New York Times. Um, I also had recorded part of um, uh, his words, and that was picked up by public radio here. Um, it was, got a lot of coverage. 
And what he did for me was he autographed the copy of my Promise of Space book in his shaky hand. So I still have that, and I cherish that. And thank you for listening. That was Sesuaro R. Das. Sesuaro has written about science and technology for more than two decades for publications that include The Economist, Scientific American, New Scientist, IEEE Spectrum, and many more. He has a background in astrophysics and taught undergraduate astronomy within the CUNY system. For more science stories, take a look at storycollider.org, where we have archives of the podcast and upcoming events. And we hope you'll contribute to keeping us going at storycollider.org donate. The Story Collider is produced by me, Brian Weck, Darren Barker, and Ari Daniel. The podcast is produced by Rose Eveleth. Additional help from Brooke Williams, Lena Groger, and Justin D'Ambrosio. The theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to Union Hall for hosting the show, and to Wrong Numbers for sometimes being right. Thanks for listening. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.